Good evening and welcome to my guest list pod, a little show with a big goal to spread the word about interesting and entertaining podcasts and their equally interesting hosts. I'm Darren and I'm happy to say that this episode is the first of the interview episodes of season three. Just a quick reminder, if you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me at my guest list pod pretty much everywhere you look and especially at my guest now, if you're just listening in for the first time this season, this is how the show works. Each episode, I invite a guest podcaster onto the show, and we count down a list in a topic of their choosing. Along the way, we take breaks and ask them some questions to delve a little deeper into their world and get to know them and their work a little better. As you will see from this season, some of my guests had a slightly unorthodox take on their countdown, which ended up being an unexpected but welcome wrinkle in my format. And if you stick with me, you will hear that I have been fortunate to speak with a lot of interesting podcasters in putting together this season, but I couldn't think of a better way to start the season off than with the guest I have for you today. Joe Partavilla is a broadcasting veteran with a wealth of life experience, and yet he's genuine, humble, and self-effacing. Joe and I had done a show earlier this year, but it had some technical issues, so I asked Joe if he would be interested and have the time to redo our chat. Thankfully, Joe agreed, and we have the show I'm presenting to you today. What Joe didn't know was that I was still in the midst of a migraine hangover when we chatted, and I had to struggle to focus, but there was no way I was going to cancel after Joe had been so gracious as to give me another chance to speak with him. I think Joe also knew I was a little off and took control of the show and was the consummate professional and an amazing guest that carried the discussion, for which I'm eternally grateful. Amongst other titles Joe currently holds, he is the current host of the Forbes Books podcast and a published author. And while my first interview with him was a little broader in its scope of what Joe has done over the journey, his podcasting and his book are the main focus of today's discussion. So now that that's all out of the way, sit back, relax, lend me your ears and enjoy my chat with, and the dulcet tones of, one Mr. Joe Partavila. I'm Joe Partavilla, and on this episode of the... Today, I'm both honored and excited to have the chance to chat with an individual who has decades of broadcasting experience, so I'm hoping to get some tips from him. Joe Partavilla has produced over 10,000 hours of audio content in his radio and podcast career as a producer and as on-air talent. In New York, he was a major player in the hottest and most competitive radio market in the world and has been part of interviews with celebrities such as Taylor Swift, Russell Crowe, and Jennifer Aniston, just to name a few. Recently, Joe has added author to his list of achievements and has released his first book titled Good Listen, Creating Memorable Conversations in Business and Life, a book where he shares his wisdom on the lost art of listening and how it can have a positive impact on both our personal and professional lives. Joe, humbly, I welcome you onto my personal guest list and onto my guest list pod. Thank you, Darren. What a wonderful introduction. Ah, uh, thank you. <laughs> I try. <laughs> how have you been? I'm mean, good. How are you doing? Good, good. Look, most people will not know, everyone will not know this except for you and me. Uh, we did actually do a show back in July and due to some technical issues, uh, we are doing it again. And the great thing about that is we get to talk uh, about uh, how your book's done. So, but first of all, and for everyone out there, 
why don't you let them know who Joe Partavila is and uh, a little bit of your backstory so we can take it from there. Yeah, so I'm, uh, like you mentioned in the amazing introduction that you did there, uh, a lifelong radio person. So I kind of stumbled into a radio career. When I was a little kid growing up outside of uh, New York City, I uh, dreamed of becoming a show business star. I wanted to, uh, my hero back in the day was David Letterman, who's a famous talk show host. So I had aspirations of being a TV star or doing something in the world of entertainment. Uh, but I wasn't all that talented, and I wasn't all that smart. So I went to a state school in New Jersey, and I fell in love with radio. Uh, I just loved the medium. It was, at that point in my life, was the lowest barrier of entry to get into kind of entertainment. The college radio station, basically, if you had a pulse, they let you on and have a show. So I started enjoying doing radio, and for some reason, one of the uh, I'm not very prescient when it comes to making decisions, but I had the idea that I should probably apply for an internship uh, at a radio station in New York to see if I loved radio. Um, it was one of those things where it's, I knew what radio was about. I knew how to do it from being in the college uh, realm, but I didn't know what it was like as a career. So I signed up for an internship in the sophomore year of my co- uh, So was, I'm sorry, I should say the second year of college, because I know in Australia they don't go by <laughs> freshman, sophomore, or anything like that. Yeah. But in the second year of my, uh, my college career, I applied for an internship at a radio station in New York called WPLJ. And WPLJ was a heritage station. It's been or was in New York for over 40 years, nearly 50 years, and was a rock station at one point. And by the time I joined it, it was like a, a pop top 40 station. And the only reason, Darren, I took this job was because it was located above one of the major traffic hubs in New York City. I was a scared little white kid from New Jersey suburbs who was afraid to go into Manhattan. But the radio station was located above this transit hub in Midtown Manhattan where I could take one train right into New York City from my home in New Jersey. And so because of that decision, I ended up spending the next 24 years of my life at this radio station, starting as an intern, working my way up through the company, and then spending a couple decades on the morning show as as executive producer and co-host. So yeah, it it was a wonderful run over 20 years on the radio there. And then in 2019, uh, as many people know who are familiar with a radio, that uh, it's hard to make money in the business. Uh, now with podcasting and other options like YouTube and such, um, there just isn't as much money as there used to be in radio. And uh, radio stations were trying to sell as many <laughs> of their radio stations as they owned. Um, and ours was sold to a Christian broadcasting company. And uh, the Christian broadcasting company wanted nothing to do with our station. They just wanted our transmitter. So they went ahead and blew up the station. And uh, they now broadcast Jesus Rock, uh, on our frequency of 95.5 in New York. So for folks who don't know what, G- what uh, Jesus Rock is, it's basically like really bad like Nickelback and Matchbox 20, but they say, oh, God, and amen in every uh, verse. Easy um, on the Nickelback, mate. Easy oh, Nickelback. I apologize. Oh, no, I, I wasn't saying it's bad, but it's like that sounding uh, like okay. rock music. Rock. No, no, I'm yeah, not one of these people like, oh, Nickelback's yeah. the worst thing in the world. I'm not. Like, I'm just saying it sounds like that kind of music, except okay, with, a, yeah. with a Christian influence to it. Yes, um, yes. And then from there, Darren, I, I pivoted full time into podcasting. I was you know dabbling in it during my days in radio, but started doing podcasting full time. And that's sort of how I stumbled into the book you were mentioning. I, I, I now work for a publishing company in Charleston, South Carolina, where we publish books for entrepreneurs. And they had just started a podcast division. And they hired me to sort of coach and consult all these folks who were being podcasts for the first time. And I came to realize that all of the skills or soft skills, as they're called now, that I had accumulated and sort of fine-tuned during my career in radio 
were skills that many people didn't have or weren't familiar with. And, uh, it, you know, I just kind of took it for granted. Like the stuff I was doing, I was like, oh, okay, everyone knows how to do this. And it turns out, no, not everyone does. And, uh, when I had this idea of like, hey, could this possibly be a book? I went to the powers that be and I said, listen, uh, not all the people that we were, not all the people that I'd love to sort of inform and educate about this can afford our services. What do you think if we did a book about this? And they said yes. And, uh, lo and behold, uh, a few months later and almost a year later, I, I wrote and published the book. It's called Good Listen. It's available now worldwide in all your uh, book retailers like Amazon and Barnes & Noble. That's fantastic. And as I said, we we actually recorded on the release date of your book, which was very exciting. But uh, since then, it has been critically acclaimed. It was a, a number one uh, new release on Amazon, which was uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure you're very proud of how it's done. Yeah, I mean, I will say, Darren, one thing is when you write a book, people are always like, how's book sales? So one thing that you'll get to know about me, Darren, is I don't know, I don't know or care much about money. So, uh, for example, I, you know, the clients I work with, they spend a lot of money to work with us. I don't want to know how much they spend. I don't want to know how much it costs to work with me. Uh, when I worked in radio, how much commercials cost. I didn't want, I, I prefer to stay in the sandbox. Uh, I've always had this, sort of phobia about money and taking people's money. And I know entrepreneurs and the people I work with on a daily basis, their job is to excise money from people's wallets for their business. I can't work that way. I've always been the person of like, hey, listen, pay me to do my thing. And then the rest is the, the rest will work itself out. So uh, every once in a while, someone will say, how many copies do your books? I'm like, I don't know. And I don't care. I don't want to know. Like if uh, I, it, the book is out there for people to, if they want to learn about me and learn about being a podcast or just being a better communicator, cool, go for it. And it's not that expensive. Like I would feel bad if it was more than $20, my book, I'd be like, please don't spend $20 on my book, but it's under $20 and you could do the audio book or you could do the ebook, which is cheaper. So uh, I'm not a big fan of taking away money from people. I just want to try to do the best I can to entertain them, uh, hopefully make them feel good about themselves and, and make them yep. better at communicating with others. Well, look, it's a fantastic book. Uh, I have read it, obviously, and uh, I think there's a lot in there for, you know, for not just creators, but just people in general. I think we have lost that art of listening and people are in conversations I, I see more and more, especially with younger people. They're, they're waiting for someone to stop talking so mm-hmm. that they can start talking rather than listening to what the person's just said. So I think there's a lot in what you've got to say that, in some ways, you know, a lot of it's common sense and common courtesy. Uh, you expand on that and make it a, a little bit more of a, a, a technique that you can practice. Uh, we'll come to that when we talk yeah. about your book. And Darren, as, I, as much as I like to shit on uh, uh, millennials and Gen Xers, and I'm sorry, millennials and Gen Z, this is a problem for a lot of people. You know, yes. it's, and like you said, it's common sense. I remember there was, I hate to read reviews about myself, but I remember there was one review of the book somewhere in some site that said, oh, this is all very common sense, uh, but it's probably good for younger people. I'm like, not really. Uh, it, everyone. It, a lot, everyone <laughs> has this problem. We're all guilty of it. I do it from time to time. And you're right. The idea of like people waiting for others to stop talking to then talk. That's what I'm trying to avoid with the book, and that's what I kind of do when, I, when I'm when i consulting folks who are doing podcasting. The idea of doing a podcast or having a conversation with someone is not waiting for just the other person to stop talking so then you can talk and show how smart you are. The idea mm. of a conversation, whether it's a podcast or in real life, in business, or with a family member, it's listening and reacting to what that person has to say. A conversation or a podcast is like a wave. You just ride it. You can't control it. Just enjoy the ride, and that's what, and that's one of the things I really 
uh, emphasize with people I work with or people who read the book. It's like, listen, these things that happen, creating magic moments, uh, creating really good audio content, it's not a monologue. It's not a one-way street. There's a monologue, you know, a monologue could be an audiobook. Like my uh, good listen is available on audiobook if you like, if you care to listen to it. But most, most audio content, unless it's a narrative uh, type podcast, like a, a true crime or something like that, those are one way conversations. When it comes to having a conversation in a podcast, it's two way. It's all about being able to bend and pull and, and have this sort of like, um, it's like you know, I, I call it like an alchemy. It's it's like putting all this stuff in a stew and, and making something. That's that's what you're doing when you're either doing a podcast or just having a conversation with a person in IRL. Yes, definitely. And one of the best examples of that alchemy, as you call it, uh, I think would be your previous podcast that you did with Dr. Jana called The Science of Sex, which I've listened to. You play us really. Different- you yeah, listen to no. that. I listened to all the episodes, actually. I listened to uh, – I binged everything. So. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so that – you play a very different role in that show compared to what you do with Forbes books in mm-hmm. terms of uh, what you do as the, the host. And with Dr. Zano, you were sort of like a co-host and you were like a bit of a color man explaining probably the more technical side of what she was talking about to the audience. But it was a very, it was interesting to see a different side of your personality uh, in that show compared to uh, Forbes books. Uh, no less enjoyable to listen to, just a different side. Did you really enjoy doing that show with uh, Dr. Zana? Absolutely. And I will say I am always humbled when anyone says they listen to me about anything. So like I'm genuinely, when you said you listen to that show, I'm like, really? Like I've been doing this. I've been creating audio content, being on the radio for basically my entire adult life. And I'm still like overjoyed and ecstatic when someone says, Hey, I heard that thing you did or listen to that thing. I'll never lose that. Like to me, the joy of like someone taking the time to listen to something I've done, uh, I'll always re- be really humbled by it. So thank you for that. But when it comes to um, my role on the science of sex, we are talking about with Dr. John or what I do with Forbes books or anything else I do. One of the th- things that I've always been good at is adaptability. I've always been able to and, and it's, God, it sounds really like egotistical to talk about it like this, but it's, it's like one of the things I'm able to do is go with, the, you know, in simpler terms, just go with the flow and, yeah. and identify what my role is. So in, in my radio days back in terrestrial, I had different roles. So sometimes I was just a backline producer strictly. Sometimes I was a foil in a segment where I was sort of like playing the quote unquote dick in, in this, uh, in this, in a scenario. Uh, yeah. sometimes it would be just as a host. So when it came to the science of sex and the way that show came about was I was doing uh, my terrestrial radio gig, which, um, you know, like I mentioned, it was this pop station. I was like to joke that it's a soccer mom station. It was a station that moms listen to in the car with their kids. So any kind of anything that was dirty ish or sexual innuendo was done uh, that would fly over kids heads. So it was a lot of double entendres, a little playful. So when I started doing uh, being interested in, in doing a podcast, Darren, I was like, I want to do a podcast, but I don't want to do what I'm already doing. That's what a lot, if you notice that like folks that are come from other mediums, whether it's television or radio, and then do a podcast, they're basically doing a podcast version of whatever they used to do. Whether it was, yes. you know, if they were a TV star they were, and they were a show, uh, they did a show about blank, they do a podcast about blank. Radio yes. people, they were doing a terrestrial radio show about pop culture, then they do a podcast about, like, I did not want to do that. I want to do something that was completely different. And I jumped to the thing that was most, unallowable if that's a word uh in radio especially with the fcc regulations in new york uh was was sex 
And okay. so uh, Dr. John and I had been connected on social media and I approached her and I, was, and I said to her, Hey, listen, I want to do a, a sex podcast, but I don't want to do like, and this is something that's proliferated on the, on, on the podcast sphere is like people talking about their sex life and oversharing and stuff like that, which is, Hey, listen, if that's what you, if, if that's what you enjoy doing, do you, but I just didn't want to do that kind of podcast. I want to do something yeah. that was came fact-based science-based podcast. But I, as you can tell, Darren and people listening to my voice can tell, I'm not very bright or educated or have a PhD, but what I can do is help translate PhD speak into what regular people can understand. So I picture his idea of like, hey, you're the sex scientist. We'll interview sex scientists, but I'll be there to sort of guide the conversation so people who don't have PhDs can enjoy our conversation. Um, and as you probably saw from from scrolling through the list of topics, they ran the gamut from how to Definitely. get a PhD in threesomes to uh, Snapchat sex and just all sorts. We did over nearly 60 episodes of like all different studies. And it was fascinating because to me, I learned. My big thing is when I do a podcast, Darren, and this is probably for you as well. When you're interviewing someone, having a conversation with someone on a podcast, the one thing I want to do is I want to be educated. I want to yeah. learn something because I feel like if I do that, I'm an avatar for the audience. If I'm learning something, the audience is learning something. And so that's what I did with the science of sex. And even though my role was certainly different from what I'm doing as, as sort of like just your run-of-the-mill podcast host on Forbes Books, it's still coming from the same place. It's still coming from the, I want to learn about this person or about what this person is doing. One of the things, Darren, when I transitioned from radio to podcasting, especially business podcasting now that I learned was I was interviewing, like you, you mentioned, I, I name drop celebrities all the time that I've interviewed, but, but I was interviewing people who like had just recorded an album or had a movie coming out. And then when I went shifted over to do business podcasting, I almost felt a bit of what they call like imposter syndrome because I was like, man, what the hell am I going to say to entrepreneurs, CEOs, people who have created million and billion dollar companies? What, what, what can I possibly ask them? And then as I started to get to go and doing it, Darren, I realized at the end of the day, they're just people, people that want to talk about themselves and people love talking about themselves, no matter if they've just recorded an album or they have a new startup. And, and I thought it was going to be hard and I wouldn't, I would have trouble doing it, but all of the skills that we've talked about, all the things I've learned about how to do a successful interview, we're Tra I translated that into the business world and it was just the same. And I just have as much fun talking to someone who has built a, an app as to someone who just put out a movie because I'm curious. I'm curious about what these people do, how they did it and why they did it. So it doesn't matter in what skin they're coming in, <laughs> whether it's from a show business skin or a business acumen or something like that. It doesn't matter to me. It's all people are, uh, you hate to say it, but we're all the same. We all have yeah. the same foibles and sort of uh, so, sort of uh, needs and wants. And so I was able to transition pretty seamlessly from doing the pop culture stuff into doing sex stuff and then doing business stuff. You can see that in the passion in both of the podcasts that I listened to. Uh, obviously, you know, you didn't want to do a show that was just titillation of talking about sex. You know, there was obviously you were very invested in making sure that uh, a message got across and that uh, you were doing something more than just, like I said, being uh, taboo, talking about a taboo subject. And then with Forbes, I've really enjoyed you delving into the the whys and hows of these um uh, very successful people and, and where their stories have come from. And you're fantastic uh, at getting that story out of uh, – there's one in particular, I think it was the uh, Maclow Whiskey 
the, the, the lady who <laughs> yes. was behind Bee Beauty and things like that. That was a that was an amazing uh, um, story. Uh, it was really good, and I really enjoyed that episode. And you were you were great in bringing that story out. And she was a great guest too. She seemed to have a huge personality. So yeah, I mean, uh, I will say uh, if there's one gift I have, uh, Darren, is that I am overly and sometimes obnoxiously enthusiastic about talking and meeting other people like i'm the annoying guy who will know the <laughs> the server's name at the restaurant and use their name Probably. during the conversation i don't know where this comes from uh my mother even says like i don't know where this came from it's just i don't know to me and it's it's, it's really cheesy but i like to make people feel good about themselves and i think yeah. people feel good about themselves when they're recognized and okay. i know that sounds oversimplistic and almost pollyannish but if you Think about that sentence, what I just said, Darren. It's like when you – people feel good when they feel like they exist in this world. And I think yes. that's a, a, pro, a problem with this world. And the and I know Australia may not be as bad as the United States, but this over-polarization of people staying in their camps and their silos. And the reason they're doing that is because they don't feel recognized. And uh, I don't know. I just I, – I, I think when you t- tell people that – you want to know what they're thinking and, and ask them questions about themselves. Some people may see it as nosy. My wife calls me nosy all the time, but I think it's, it, to me, it's, it's, I do it selfishly because yeah. me wanting to know more information about these people makes them feel good. So it's all like this win, win I'm nosy about them, but me being nosy makes them feel good about themselves. How is that translated into some of the interviews that you've done? And has that been always been a positive or has there been some negative uh, results from being nosy with some of the stars that you've spoken to, celebrities I mean, that you've I, spoken to? Yeah, Darren, I will say, I mean, I never had someone say to me, oh, I can't answer that or, you know, I, I don't want to go there. Um, so I think people recognize that I come from a good place. I think they get my vibe that I'm like, oh, this guy, he's he's just like, he's just having fun. He just wants to talk. Um, there are times, Darren, where I'm, I'm, I did a podcast today where I was interviewing this guy who works for a giant tech company that, uh, a cloud-based tech company. So say what you will. And man, I don't know shit about cloud computing, Darren, but, (laughs) but it's, but I, but I was still able to talk to the guy for 45 minutes and I was able to do that because I want to know about what, what this cloud computing company, about what this guy does. So and I think that's my advice for people. I, th- I think I write about it in the book too. Is like if you create this environment where people are comfortable, uh, I use the metaphor of like we all have two sets of friends. We have the friend who asks you to get a drink from the fridge and the friend who just goes in the fridge and grabs your last beer. If you can create that environment in everywhere you go, whether it is a podcast, whether it's in your business life or whether it's in your family life or, f- or friend circle, if you can do that, there's nowhere you can go that will offend people or will uh, or will create some sort of animosity or make people feel uncomfortable. If you can create that sort of environment, you can get pretty much anything out of anyone. And you know, you talked about the lost art of conversation earlier when you were doing the intro about you know helping people communicate with each other. It's like that's 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 what's lost in this yeah. di- digital amnesia that we we all live up with you know the fact that yeah. you can't a lot of the stuff that you do to create that environment you can't do digitally uh you could do a lot of things digitally and i don't want to be one of these people like oh man texting has has killed the the, the way we we uh we uh communicate with another i love texting as well as anyone but if you want to get something done or want to get an answer about something the best way to do it is either person to person or you know worst case scenario over the phone 
yeah, definitely. And I, I'm with you in, in terms of uh, the fact that it is a lost art and the COVID lockdowns that we had didn't help that. Even with Zoom and Skype and everything else that we were doing, there's a, a difference in terms of uh, really being able to, I think, uh, understand body cues and, and really get into what you call, you mentioned before, the flow of a conversation. I, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, your book will, will help a, a lot of people to uh, get back on the right track. Yeah. I mean, Darren, I think, I don't think there's, it's like we can't unring this bell. I think we are going to, we're going to get worse and worse at this. And, but I, but like anything, I think the cream rises to the top. The people that are able to communicate a message, the people that are able to listen to other people, the people who are able to be curious about others, those are the people that are going to succeed. So if you feel like you want to succeed in any way, in any part of your life, whether it's at work or home, what have you, if you're able to take these steps of being a better communicator, you will make your life so much better. And so, Darren, not everybody has to do this. And I'm not saying they should, but the folks that do, those are the ones that are going to succeed and live a happy and fulfilled life because they're taking these steps and being intentional about wanting to communicate with other people. We don't have to do it with everybody. Don't get me wrong. I love a good text as well as anybody. If, if I have a question to ask someone, a text is a great thing. But when there's nuance to be had, you can't do that in any kind of digital digital None. form. Exactly. None. None works. Whether it's social, yeah. texting, uh, email, you cannot do it. There's, nuance is pretty much nil in any of yeah. those type of mediums. To create nuance, to have it, you've got to do it in person. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. And you know, our interview at the moment is a perfect example because of the way I've got my my setup in my room. I'm not even looking straight at you, which normally would be very, very uh, rude. But uh, it's just unfortunately. Uh, I know I'm not that uh, handsome, Darren, and you don't no. want to look at me. I get it. I'm grotesque. Don't I totally silly. get it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll be, I will say that to Darren about the the idea of eye contact. I don't know. Maybe I'm just finely attuned. I almost don't always need it. Like sometimes when I record, most of the times when I record podcasts, Aaron, I don't, I use an audio only platform. So I never even look Mm -hmm. at people. And to me, it's sort of like daredevil. You know, he's the blind superhero and he's got this super attuned like sense of, of smell and sound to me. I can pick up on cues just by sound. Um, so, and, and I think just, that's just from me of being in my profession of being able to, to, uh, to identify sounds and tones and, and any kind of like, uh, anything, you know, any of that kind of intangible stuff that, that comes through, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's honed over years and years of uh, interviewing and years and years of listening. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Definitely. Great. Look, I do want to ask you about something else that we, we it was a little remiss of me to, to leave it out last time, but um, you were in a huge market for radio in New York. And the biggest. Obviously- yeah, exactly right. And you were there. I looked at some of the, you know, the years and things like that. And you were there in a crossover with the people like Howard Stern, and I wasn't sure Opie and Anthony and yep. as well, and yes. all at the same time. What was that like? And did you actually have any interaction with the other radio stations? Or yeah, uh, well, Darren, I will say, uh, especially working in morning radio, it's a very tribal uh, lifestyle. So. Okay. The idea of 
fraternizing with uh with other radio people was very slim and i will say (laughs) once social media came around i think more and more people started following each other and communicating that way like i have friends in competing radio stations that i became friends with because of social media but the tribal lifestyle of radio was basically like it's us against the world so um i i you know i met a lot of those folks that you, you mentioned and and know of them and it's just one of those things where it's like with, especially for our morning radio. So to give you an idea of, of how it was, I would wake up at 3.06 every morning. And I set my alarm for 3.06 because I thought waking up at 3 o'clock was r- just ridiculous. <laughs> so I set my alarm for 3.06. And then I would spend the next couple of hours researching, going through uh, media, newspaper, magazines, anything I'd get my hand of to fill up content for four hours. I would get to the, the studio by 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, fully fully map out the show, and then from six to ten, be on live for four continuous hours with commercial breaks and music play in between. Then at ten o'clock, we reset and get ready for the next day. And so I would sometimes be in the office till like twelve, one o'clock in the afternoon. By the time I got home, I would pass out, take a nap, <laughs> and then just get up and just enjoy my time with my family at that time. So yeah. as you can tell from that schedule. It doesn't give you a lot of time for getting out there and enjoying yourself and meeting yeah. other people. So, um, and I think this goes for a lot of media folks. I mean, and luckily now, one of the positives about social media is that you can keep up with other folks. You don't have to be listening to the, because if you're on the same time that they're on, you don't be able to know what they're doing. But because of social media, you'll be able to get an idea of what's going on in their world. So, uh, no, there wasn't a lot of that. And I would say, I think that goes for most radio folks in the time that I was doing it. It was more, it was very competitive where it was like, you know, um, you know, it would be like, you know, a radio station would pull a plank, prank on another radio station because they were competitive. But it, it came to a point where like all that stuff went away because I think yeah. we all realized that, man, this radio business is really freaking hard and we, we shouldn't be making our lives harder <laughs> between us. Let's just take the listeners we can have, you know, steal what we can. Uh, but outside of that, just respect everyone in the business. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, well, that, that that's good to know. I, I was very curious. Um, there's been a lot of... Well, you say uh, interaction between old radio hosts and people from radio stations through podcasts of late and uh, a few uh, rivalry or beefs and things like that yeah. that have sprung up. So uh, I wasn't aware. We So we, we were aware of who Howard Stern was mostly because of his private parts movie. Yeah. You know, we, we didn't really get uh, his radio show or any of the, the radio shows from America here in Australia in Australia at all. Um, so we knew who he was, but we, we weren't probably aware of who the, the other people in that market were until YouTube. So mm. there are a lot of their old shows are on YouTube. And when I mentioned uh, a couple of people to my son, he said, oh, you know, I watch those guys on YouTube. <laughs> and I was like, well, I grew up in that era and I have no idea who they are. That's <laughs> he funny. said, oh, yeah, which was crazy. And since then, I, I listened to a couple of podcasts where – the the ex employees of certain radio stations oh. are, are having issues with each other. Yeah. So and it's just a whole world that I didn't know about that I'm experiencing now through podcasts, which is uh, very interesting. And I was just curious, were they like this with each other back in the day? But because they're, they're pretty vicious now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think they're they're more apt to be vicious now, Darren, because the game has changed. I think we were as radio folks, we were always joked that we were the last rung of the ladder of the entertainment world. You know, it went movies, television, 
print, and then radio. So we were always pretty scrappy. We were the scrappy startup, and we always had that mentality of like, hey, man, it's us against the world. And so we never really tried to shit on other people that much. I mean, you saw rivalries from towns like Stern – his big act was whenever he, whenever his, his show was syndicated in a new city, he would go after the number one show in that town just to okay. create, create controversy because he was, he was just great at creating uh, marketing opportunities for himself and, and making a name for himself in a market who didn't know him at the time. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, he's just, he's going after this other show. And then, you know, within a year or two, he'd be number one. So that was the okay. only time you ever saw like that stuff publicly, but really behind the scenes radio is a very closeted, uh, community, especially when I was growing up in the '90s with it, it was just like you know you you would know like if so and so was you know in an extramarital affair or doing something like that, but it wasn't like social media was around to like to start talking shit about other people. It was, it was just very much like it, it was like an uh, and 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 unfortunately, what it was too was an old boys club. It was all okay, mostly yeah. men, um, men at the uh, executive level, and then on air, you'd have one woman in a group of six on a morning show or something like that. So it, mm-hmm. it, it, there, there was that old boys network kind of feel where we were all kind of watching each other's back. Um, yeah. So I think that's why a lot of that stuff didn't come to the forefront until, and, until like today where now there's more, many more avenues to do something like that. Okay. Um, look, while you were at the, the radio station, you obviously got to speak with uh, some really big names uh, like, the, the ones I mentioned before, of all the interviews that you did, what was probably your most most memorable? Memorable for a good or bad reason, so it can be either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one that always that I always felt like really proud of, and it wasn't even really like an interview in the studio. It was me doing man on the street stuff. So when I first started with the morning show, I used to go out on the road and I used to um, you go to movie premieres, go to go to events, and try to interview celebrities. And again. Uh, to remind you, low man on totem pole. So it was always hard for the radio guy to get uh, in front of like the TV crews or the or the magazine and and uh, newspaper crews. So uh, many many years ago, the U.S. women's soccer team uh, had just won the World Cup. I think it was 1996, and they had won the World Cup, or it was 96, 98. But if you remember, this was the one where uh, Brandy Chastain had ripped the jersey off of her after winning yes. the World Cup, and then it was this world famous photo like she was on the cover of sports illustrated with the with her jersey in her hand and at the time this was the 90s so it wasn't 2022 so the idea of a woman stripping down to her sports bra for the world to see was a controversial topic i know for for folks under 40 they're like what is this the the amish times or you know is this the puritans but there was controversy around it and so brandy chastain just became a household name at the time a week after winning the World Cup, after weeks of you know conservative people kind of attacking her, people talking about how um, I don't want to say offensive, but like how over the line it was for her to rip her jersey off in front of the world to see. Uh, I went to this event. The, the, oh, by the way, New York was so in love with the w- women's soccer team; they did a ticker tape parade for them, which is rare okay. in New York. They would have ticker tape parades for the the professional teams that had won titles. But this was such a big deal. They decided to do a ticker tape parade for the U.S. women's soccer team. And this is the team with Mia Hamm, uh, if people remember, like the legendary soccer player from the U.S. Uh, but Brandon Chastain had had the game-winning goal at the, at the World Cup match. So yeah. after after the event, uh, after the, the parade, they all gathered at the Nike Town Store. It's a big Nike store in uh, on 57th Street in Midtown Manhattan. And there was all like these little media scrums. So all the p- big players had like, so had a, a like a select group of of journalists just peppering them with questions. 
So, you know, the, the Mia Hamp uh, section was like huge because she was just like the biggest star. And I and I worked my way over to the Brandy Chastain part of it. And so Brandy Chastain is sitting on a stool just surrounded by dozens and dozens of reporters, all men mostly. And she just keeps getting hammered and hammered with these questions about the jersey and such. And me sitting there, I was like, well, there's got to be a question here about the jersey that's not about what she did wrong, but but what what, what it means to to what she did, like the meaning behind what she did. Yeah. So I'm sitting there, and then all of a sudden, this, this question just popped in my head. And I go, Brandy, so much has been said about this jersey, but what are you going to feel in two, three years when you're walking around to a soccer pitch or down the street and you see a little girl wearing a Brandy Chastain jersey. And at the time, mind you, now you'll see women and even guys, and obviously guys wear jerseys of of celebrities, of, you know, soccer stars, female mm-hmm. soccer stars, basketball stars. It's pretty common. But back then, the idea of someone wearing a female athlete's jersey was just like incredibly foreign. Yeah. So she takes a second, and all of a sudden, she just starts bawling. Like visibly crying in front of all of us. And we're like, what just happened? And she goes, I never thought about that in my entire life. I didn't think that was even possible. But just the idea of a girl having my name on the back of her jersey, just it means everything. Yeah. And so – and so everyone is just then all of a sudden all these people start following up about the the legacy and everything like that. (laughs) And I remember the next day – uh, the newspaper had actually in in like the early like second or third page of the New York tabloids. They all had this picture of her crying, yeah. and uh, in the article it said a guy with a microphone asked her about the jersey. <laughs> so I was just a guy with a microphone, and I just remember that. But I but but the reason I bring it up and and you asked me about like a, a famous interview or, or something. I've had I've had thousands and thousands of interviews, Darren. But the ones that like stir an emotion in me and stir emotion in the guest, those to me will always be my favorite interviews. And that moment, it was one of those where not much research was involved. I was just kind of, you know, what we talked about earlier, just riding the wave of like all everything that was going on in this space of people peppering this this poor young lady with like yeah. these negative questions. And Side I was like, what can I do here? Matter. What can yeah. I do here that's different? What can yeah. I do here that can change the the temperature of this conversation? And Make it feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and again, yeah. Rather, circling back to uh, to uh, to sort of like my yeah. my my being in life is like, what yes, can I do to make exactly. people feel better? And that's that in this moment, that's what what I was able to come up with. And I was just a guy with a microphone. Fantastic. Look, I'd love to talk to you some more about some of the other interviews you've done, you've done, and we'll probably get to that when we talk about your book a little bit more. But I do get all my guests to come on and uh, count down a list. It's it's part of what I do here. Mm-hmm. Um, now you've chosen something very topical. It, you know, it's very appropriate for this time of year, which is great, but it's also very topical, and there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of opinions on. Uh, uh, your choices. So, uh, you have chosen to count down the five best Christmas movies that are not Christmas movies. So, right. uh, so we're, this this is going to be an interesting one because look, what what criteria, what metric are we using to identify a non Christmas movie or a Christmas movie, and then why it's not a Christmas movie? 
Yeah. So this has been an argument for years, Darren, and I know you, you've seen it online, this sort of discourse about, you know, movies like Die Hard or, or Gremlins or Lethal Weapon. And so the argument always has been is like, say, for example, Die Hard, is it a Christmas movie? And some people say yes, because it takes place at a Christmas party. And my argument to that always was, well, if it a, to me, a Christmas movie is a Christmas movie where the entire thread line of the movie just rides on it being a Christmas movie. So these five films that I have in my top five that are the best Christmas movies that are not Christmas movies are take place around the holidays or on Christmas Day. But if you were to take that element away from it, would would not leave the movie lifeless or non-existent. So, for example, like Home Alone. If you take away the fact that the family went away for the holidays, well, then there's no movie there. They, yeah, <laughs> and, the, yeah. and that he was left alone on Christmas. So these are movies that were, if you were to take away the Christmas element, you would still be left with a great film. A and so that's movie. why these are five Christmas movies that are not Christmas movies. Christmas movies. Okay. <laughs> I, get, I think you'll get a, a, a little bit of pushback from certain people on that. And I have this conversation with my son uh, about one of your picks, you know, okay. uh, every, every Christmas. But that's all right. Look, why don't we start off with your number five Christmas movie that is not a Christmas movie. Okay. And before we get to that, Darren, I understand that there are some actors in this top five list that are problematic in 2022. I am. I, I don't want to go there with this, but That's I just fine. want I I want people to know that yes, I'm aware that some of these actors on these lists are not people that are uh, welcomed uh, to make features anymore. <laughs> anymore. Yes. But in the context of talking about their films, you, I, I'm always one of the things, uh, Darren, that you've probably heard, had this conversation about removing the artist uh, from the controversy, like you know, or oh, the art sure. from the controversy. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do in this top yes. five. Definitely. And I've already I think done that. <laughs> number five, I think, has uh, it's one of those. So number five is Lethal Weapon, uh, starring Mel Gibson and uh, and Danny Glover. The movie that revolutionized the buddy cop film. People don't realize. Yes. People take take it for granted that now there's buddy cop movies or buddy movies, but th- that they basically put that genre on its head and just launched a, an incredible. A string of like the next decade or half of just movies about two guys arguing for two hours and and then <laughs> and then agreeing at the end. So Lethal yeah. Weapon takes place during the holidays. There's a, there's a few scenes that take place right around Christmas. There are some uh, Christmas ornaments that get blown up and shot at during it. So that is my number five movie, best Christmas movie. That's not a Christmas movie. What's your take on Lethal Weapon? Look, I, I think that's a fair one. To be honest, the the setting is uh, uh, at Christmas, obviously, and like mm-hmm. you said, there's a there's a hint of Christmas in the movie. But there are other movies on this list that have a uh, more of a a Christmas flavor to them, and and, and visually they're more about Christmas than this one. And I, I think this one definitely, I I would agree with you that Lethal Weapon is set at Christmas, but not a Christmas movie. And it's not even mentioned. Christmas is not even really mentioned that much, except for when they go over to Danny Glover's house and obviously the tree's up and things like that. But apart from that, Gary Busey getting belted on the front lawn with the ornaments around him. But but apart from that, it's it's not a Christmas movie. I would agree with you on that one for sure, definitely. Okay, number four, there could be arguments for it, but it's Gremlins. And uh, it's all about this young boy in the small town USA who receives uh, a small creature 
for the holidays. Uh, Mogwai. And <laughs> Mogwai, yes. Or Gizmo, as he comes to be known right. in the film. Uh, and so, again, not really a Christmas movie because it doesn't really have much of a Christmas spirit. It's pretty much the havoc that's wreaked because of this <laughs> Christmas gift. Uh, yeah, a yeah. wonderful film. And it's so funny. F- number four and number three on this list are these weird, weird movies that would never be made today. Like, there's no way a Gremlins movie like this, so weird, with, like, drag gremlins, you know, wearing lipstick and, like, <laughs> like just really, really odd things, yeah. which would not happen in 2022. It's a fun movie. It's a classic uh, 80s sort of sci-fi horror movie where it's kind of scary, but not really uh, just a really fun classic movie. Your kids are are teens, right? Do do they yes. appreciate Gremlins? Yes, they've seen it and they they liked it. They thought it was good, but uh, it takes a lot to to uh, shock teenagers nowadays. So they take it, you know, on the chin when they watch it. And ah, uh, yeah, but they see it probably more of a kids' movie uh, yeah. now. Yeah. You know, whereas I I enjoyed it as uh, as a uh, a teen. Uh, what, what was uh, Gremlins? Gremlins is eighty four. Oh, great yeah. year for mu- great year for movies. And also the fact that you've picked movies all but one are in the 80s is testament to how good the 80s was as oh well, yeah so. <laughs> absolutely i know quentin tarantino like shits on the 80s says like the 80s it was a really bad decade for filmmaking because of the fact that it became more about making money whereas opposed to making art and yeah i get that those arguments but there are so many good movies in the 80s and number three is the example of an amazingly talented filmmaker making yes. something that was mainstream and that's edward scissorhands Starring <clears throat> uh, Johnny Depp. Again, not going to get into that, but this is a wonderfully <laughs> weird movie uh, that has a very, har- opens up with a very horror type feel about this yes. boy yeah. that has no hands, but has hands that are scissors and the issues that <laughs> come with having scissor hands. And it's just an amazing performance by Johnny Depp. Winona Ryder is wonderful as, as the female lead. And it just tells a story about. People like embracing their weirdness. And mm, I think it's definitely. such a, a great movie. It takes place during the holidays, uh, parts of it. Uh, and just imagine trying to open a gift when your hands are scissors is kind of difficult. Uh, yeah. But yeah, just a wonderfully weird movie. And again, one of these that pro- would probably not get made now. Now, if, if they made Edward Hands now, Darren, it would probably be like a low budget indie that would like that could have like a word of mouth but this was an honest to goodness blockbuster film like a huge movie again i don't think can be replicated in the times we're living in now but uh, edward scissorhands comes in at number three look tim Tim burton is that kind of director though he's a he's a little bit out there and you you see the way he attacked the the batman movies Mm -hmm. and you know they were uh, like i really love the way he did gotham in some mm. of the uh, the Batman movies, and it hasn't been done the same way since. I, I would argue. Um, I really, I think he's a he's a, an amazing director. And this this is set at Christmas. He does a lot of Christmassy things in terms of what he when he sculpts mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the the things into Christmassy type uh, uh, ornaments. And there's a lot of uh, emotion around, you know gift giving and acceptance look yeah it's it's not a christmas movie uh it's 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 probably a little like you said it's a, probably a little bit too much of a dark feel mm. to probably be classed as a christmas movie and or, or, although it could be a christmas movie with a you know strange uh, bent <laughs> to it which is pretty much what it was but um 
what look, I, I wanna I wanna just harken back to what you said about gremlins. You think the, the gremlins would get cancelled nowadays? Uh you no, I, I don't think they'd be canceled, but I think they would come in a different form. Like I don't think okay. they would be as campy and as over the top as they I, I honestly think if they did gremlins today, the camp factor would be all gone. I think it would be more about the the gross out kind of you know a little maybe a little yeah. gorish and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh yeah, no, I don't think you can you can't cancel Gizmo. I don't think you'd do that. Well, uh, yeah. That that would change <laughs> the whole idea of the movie, I think. The whole yeah. uh, impact that it has. So there there yeah. are t- there is talk of them doing like a Gremlins three, which they did do a Gremlins two, which was not as well received, but batch. it's it's actually a fine <laughs> film. Yeah, the new batch. Yeah. You know, you know your Gremlins. Uh, it was not as well received, but I think it's one of those movies that you know. There's no such thing as them making an original movie anymore. So I have a feeling yeah. that you'll see something Gremlins, whether it's a streaming thing or a movie in the in the pretty near future. All right, uh, let's. Uh, that we've done three. Let's go on to number two, please. And number two is probably one of the greatest comedies ever filmed. It's called <laughs> Trading places with eddie murphy and dan Aykroyd. just i mean it's wall to wall i mean eddie murphy at his best dan Aykroyd playing the best straight man and jamie lee curtis breakout performance it's a wonderful comedy that part of it takes place during the holidays dan Aykroyd's character famously has a giant meltdown in a santa claus suit uh with a raw fish that is pretty (laughs) unforgettable so again not a christmas movie but it is based and happens around the holidays and the things that happen between the two characters trading places eddie murphy's kind of down as luck guy and dan Aykroyd's rich guy who becomes a poor man uh just a great comedy still holds up it's one of those that will re- always run on your local cable channels and uh even with the the censoring is still freaking funny as all hell and yeah. uh trading places just a, a great movie that's not a christmas movie but takes place during christmas see this is where Number three, uh, so Edward Scissorhands and Trading Places, I think this is where some of the arguments can be made that these are Christmas movies as well, purely because they're trying to evoke uh, emotions from you in terms of putting you in someone else's shoes at that time of year and maybe hopefully trying to uh, engender some empathy towards maybe the less fortunate at this festive time. Right. So, so again, could be standalone movies that have a a completely different setting and it would probably be, you know, still the same. So Edward Scissorhands didn't have to be at Christmas. It could be at some other uh, time and he could still do the same things that he does, but just with a, a different theme to it. Uh, and same with Trading Places. It's a very real movie, but because you have Dan Aykroyd changing from being a very privileged white person in a uh, in high society and then being down and out and him coming to a realization of what that is like in terms of becoming one of the real people yeah you know so um and eddie murphy going the other way obviously uh i think they you know it's obviously trying to give you a, a um, an idea of how the, the characters grow and empathize with something that they up until then didn't really understand mm. and um look uh, you maybe uh, I don't usually try and look too much into to movies and go that deep. I like to you know the sus- suspension enjoy. of disbelief and yeah. just enjoy them for what they are. But uh, yeah, if if there's a couple of movies that I think you could probably say that the the motivation behind the movie, apart from just making a fantastic comedy or a, a thought provoking movie like they did with those two, they're also trying to probably bring something out or 
gives something to the audience. And that's the only point at where I'd say they could be viewed as maybe Christmas movies because they're trying to engender that Christmas spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe no. just the spirit of man's inhumanity. Sure. <laughs> Sorry, the man's humanity to man. Absolutely. So, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, we kind of spoiled this one early, and I know this is a cliche fight that happens every year, but I only had to put this as number one because of the fact that it's probably, and I actually did a double shot with it, but the the, the, the original is probably the greatest action movie ever made. So the the best Christmas movie of all time that is not a Christmas movie is Die Hard. And I've also included Die Hard 2, Die Harder as well yes. in the mix because of the idea. They were both took place during the Christmas, Christmas. season. Yeah. Yeah. But this is a big argument, Darren. I'm sure you've have it with your friends and you see it on it's social media if Die Hard is a Christmas movie. <laughs> it's not a Christmas movie, but it's just a great movie that takes place during Christmas. And I'm telling you, it, that movie changed... Again, going back to, for the, you know, we hate to sound like the old guys, but the idea that Die Hard was such a game changer. First of all, Bruce Willis was a TV actor during the time where TV actors did not become movie stars. It was just okay. like nowadays you'll see TV people do movies and go vice versa. Back then, movie actors would never slum down to be a, on the television and TV stars just were never afforded the opportunity to be movies because they were just quote unquote TV people. That changed the game. And then the whole idea of what they call a, a log line of a film, guy on a blank doing this. Die Hard revolutionized this. So it was a guy trapped in a building against terrorists. This, f- from that point forward, when Die Hard 1 came out, there were probably 10 Die Hard ripoffs a year <laughs> that took place where it was one guy against the world in fill in the blank, whether it was Keanu Reeves in Speed, whether it was... Yeah. Uh, who, who, oh, uh, Steven Seagal on a naval cruiser in Under Siege. There were so many of these type of films that were inspired and happened because of Die Hard. Yeah. Uh, and look, I agree. I don't think it's a Christmas movie. And my, my eldest boy and I, this is the one that we have the arguments over. Um, and it's funny because we have them every year <laughs> and it's, uh, it's always the same. And neither of us will budge, but I agree. Look, it, that movie could, you know, it could be, again, you wouldn't even have to set it with a theme in terms yeah. of a um, what was going on, like, you know, Thanksgiving or whatever. It could just be a good movie by itself. And there's not enough, I think, references outside of the party uh, mm-hmm. and the, the chaos in the airport and him having to come in and get the, the, the limo driver. And apart from that, there's not a lot of festive inclusions in the actual movie. So, there's, you know, it's, there's not a lot of, could you say, focus on yeah. I will say all five of these films, though, Darren, they all in their soundtrack had a lot of Christmas music, like even Die Hard that like the yes. the uh, score yes. had yes. basically very, very much a Christmassy sound in the yeah. background. So uh, and even, you know, obviously movies like Trading Places and Edwards, they all had like Christmas music featured in it so it's not like we're yeah. it's not like we're these movies were just like hey this place takes place during christmas all right we're moving on to the next thing and they j- did and just ignoring of, it yeah. <laughs> they, they did create this sort of like christmas vibe uh to, oh, yeah. to parts of the film yeah and, and yeah, it'd be pretty bad directing if they did that i dare say <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely but 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 something like jingle all the way for example mm. that's a movie where you can't have that movie without christmas Right. So, whereas any of these, like you said, you you could have these movies still be great movies, but they don't have to be considered Christmas movies. So, correct. Fantastic. 
So, so that's that's your five. That's your your top five. I was going to keep number one until later, but to be honest, it wasn't going to be a big surprise. Yeah, for anyone, no, I don't think no, so. absolutely. <laughs> we can't even mention it earlier. So it's like it's, but, but the, you know, I, I would tr- I would have tried to have like moved it in a different part of the of the uh, of the conversation. But the thing is, and uh, to be honest with you, I would have moved it down in the list or put it up. But I just couldn't take away from the fact that. It's just a great movie, and it's like, yes. and it's the fight that we all have every holiday season. So for me to not make it number one would have been just really so. It was just would me just trying to make an argument for argument's sake, and I just didn't feel like it was necessary. Yeah, no, that's that's completely fair. So, all right, look. So considering we have done all five for you, I do want to uh, speak to you a little bit more about your book. If you've got mm. some extra time that we can do uh, utilize, all right, great. Yeah. So. As we mentioned, uh, number one new release on Amazon has done really well, critically acclaimed, and I've heard some of the podcasts that you've been on talking about your book, which have been fantastic. Now, I, I want to talk about some of the parts of the book. Uh, one in particular, uh, you mentioned about having a fearless attitude. Mm. Now, from reading your book, that's a sort of uh, attribute I think you've had for most of your life, and and it's when you you read about how you got into radio, you've you've taken opportunities whenever they've presented themselves, and you've run with them. Is is that part of what you talk about being fearless? Yeah, totally. I mean, like you said, my career basically started because I was fearless enough to be like, hey. I don't need to go to college. I could just work in this radio station full time and then what happens, happens. Um, so, yeah. I, and I think when it comes to conversations and communicating with people, interviewing folks, it harkens back to like what we talked about earlier. If you're able to develop camaraderie with people, treat them kind, be open, it allows you to be fearless. It allows you to take those steps of, man, I, you know, if – in any other circumstance, I probably would be uncomfortable to ask this question, but because I've created this sort of safe place that allows me to be fearless, I think that is wh- that's where the magic happens. You know, th- th- these uh, you know, I talk about in the book about creating magic moments. They happen because you've created a safe place and then you're fearless. Be- I don't think you can be fearless and then create the safe place because if you come out firing with something that some people may consider. Uh, an uh, intrusive or even, you know, potentially rude question out of the box. First of all, you can't create the safe place. That place has been ruined. But because you've taken the steps to being thoughtful, researching people, knowing about them, making them feel comfortable, it allows you to be fearless. It's sort of like jumping out of a plane. For folks, most people like me wouldn't want to jump out of a plane, but people who are fearless jumping out of the plane are fearless because they've got a parachute. They wouldn't be fearless if they didn't yeah. have a parachute. So yeah. in a way, doing all these things that we talk about and I write about in the book is you create all these things. That is your parachute. You will. There's no way you're going to fall on your face and die as you would in a plane. But there's no way you're going to fall on your face or embarrass yourself because you've taken these steps. You've taken these precautions to make it so it works and that everyone feels good about themselves. Has being fearless ever been? backfired and when i i asked that question i am thinking of something i did read in the book uh about taylor swift oh. an interview there. well yeah well the, the, this 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 is one of the perfect examples of not creating the perfect uh environment for a conversation in the safe space that i was that i was mentioning so yeah so this taylor swift incident uh it's uh it scarred me 
Darren, I'll be honest. This 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 is a this is a rough sliding for me. I don't know if I'll be able to talk about it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so yeah, so a few years ago, Taylor Swift was going to come into our studio to promote her latest album, and at the time, and now everyone does this all uh, regularly. When uh, a celebrity comes into the radio studio, even though you know, as we know, it's an audio format. We would video record all these interviews and post them online so people who didn't have a chance to listen to them while it was live on the air had a chance to catch up later on YouTube or on our social media channels to watch it. So for some reason, Taylor Swift's team had an odd request. Their request was, we can video record the first five minutes of the interview. And so immediately I got thinking, oh, so you mean we can only post five minutes? Oh, that makes sense. We can, Well, that's fine. We'll only put, no, 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 no. We will record five minutes and then stop. And so okay. <laughs> people ask me this when I, when I talk up, when I share the story and they're like, why do they do this? And I'm like, the only thing I could think of is that they just want to control the amount of content that's out in the world and they don't trust people to just post X number of minutes. So they're like, hey, listen, we're doing you a favor, having the biggest star on the planet come to your little tiny little radio station. And these are the rules that we're going to have. And so, as you know, Darren, when it comes to interviews, the first five minutes usually suck. It's usually people feeling each other out. They, they're trying to Pretty get awkward. the vibe of each other, feel everybody out. And yeah. so, me as a, as, a, uh, as a radio professional is like, man, these first five minutes, it's going to be nothing. It's going to be like, hey, how you doing? What's it like being in New York? Blah, 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 blah. It's bullshit. So, I got angry about it. And so, the morning comes when Taylor Swift uh, walks into our studio and our the publicist makes a beeline right to the videographer who's going to video record. And the videographer was standing basically about a foot away from me. And Taylor Swift was about four feet away from me on the other side of the radio table. And so the publicist makes the beeline, taps the, uh, the videographer on the shoulder and says, Hey, by the way, just a reminder when, when it gets to five minutes, I'm just going to tap you on the shoulder. I need you to put the, the, the camera down. And the, and the videographer was well aware of the situation was like, sure, fine, whatever. So we're about to go on with Taylor Swift, and I, I just had this rage building inside of me. I'm like, man, we have Taylor Swift on the planet, and we're not going to be able to do anything with it outside of interviewing her. So, because me, I'm just thinking of all the other things that I should be worried about that I shouldn't be. Instead of me thinking about how can we make this a great interview? How can we make her feel comfortable? How can we make this so that it's just a wonderful experience for everyone? No, I was thinking like, oh, man, I'm so pissed off at the fact that we're not going to be able to share this with our listeners on our video channels because of these rules that they've placed on us. So the publicist uh, is standing next to me and uh, I go, oh, on that note, if we have a follow-up question at around the five-minute mark, would we be able to continue recording? And the publicist was like, you know, just trying to slough me off and be like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm sure that's fine. And then I go, well, what if we have a follow-up question to that first follow-up question? Would we still continue to record the video? And the publicist at that point is like, it's starting to get confused and glassy eyed. And, and she's like, yeah, I, I guess so. And because I can't leave well enough alone, I said, and what if we have a follow-up question <laughs> to the follow-up question to that second follow-up question? Would we still be able to record? The Jeez. publicist was just completely spe speechless at this point. But on the other side of the room, I hear this voice that says, well, somebody woke up feeling saucy this morning. <laughs> It was Taylor Swift, who I thought was totally engaged on having whatever she was doing done, whether it was getting yeah. hair and makeup or talking to the other people on the morning show. She heard everything that was going on between me and her publicist. So because of that, during the entire interview, Darren, she was looking at me like with dagger eyes as if 
she was expecting for me to say something offensive over the line. And it just turned out to be a run of the mill average rock and roll radio interview where the person talks about their album and has their generic prepared answers ready to go. And it was all because I just put my ego first and I was hurt that we weren't able to yeah. do what we normally do. And yeah. I didn't create this, the safe place. And, and again, this is an embarrassing story for me to tell, but I, the reason I tell it is because this is what happens when this is what happens when you don't put the interview or the guest first, when you put yourself first and where you put your, you let your ego guide where the conversation is going to go. It it's, you're never going to be able to create any kind of magic moment or create a moment where you could be able to make everyone feel good and have everyone openly sharing ideas back and forth. And so even though this is a really stupid story that I, I tell it's, it's, it's important to keep people in check and don't make it about yourself. When you have a guest, they are the word guest. You're supposed to make them feel welcome. You're supposed to make them feel comfortable. And if you're not doing that, you're not going to make them comfortable and you're not going to get anything out of that moment. And again, this is whether you're doing an interview or where you're having someone over or you're having a meaningful conversation with a business partner or some, a friend. If you're putting your ego first and want to get and, and, and just keying in on getting your points across, man, at that point, what's the point? You know, just yeah. just just talk to yourself. Go, you know, do, go stream. Do, go do a monologue. Do go talk show. to your yeah, phone. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But when it comes to having conversations, podcasts, or what what have you, it's a dance. And if you don't have that partner, it, you're going to look silly dancing by yourself. Well, look, and in making a, a safe space, uh, I. I'll try to do that here, and I won't mention the jets or anything like that as well. Please so. don't. Well, actually, no, today no. you can. I think the last yes. time we spoke, we weren't very confident about the no. jets, but today I'm actually feeling pretty good you about can. myself. Yeah, exactly. So, which is pretty good. All right. Uh, look, most of your book is about listening. Uh, mm. Obviously, that's the most important part of a, a conversation to have that conversation being meaningful between two people because you're you, you're actually listening to what someone's saying. You can. Uh, counter what they're saying or or add to what to their, they're saying mm-hmm. but you you talk about listening practice isn't listening something we just do normally nope what what what, what do you need to, to do to listen properly and what can you do to practice listening no so we hear we don't listen we hear things going on and they come one ear out the other but we don't listen and it, it probably has a lot to do with what we were talking about earlier about you know this digital amnesia of us just our attention spans are, have gone to shit but i think it's really more about it's. I think it, a lot of it is the ego piece I was just talking about, Darren. I think we mm. just we're so into our own heads and only care about what we think uh, that we just don't care about what other people have to say, and you know it goes in one ear out the other, as our, our mothers used to say. So I think in terms of practicing the listen, I don't think there's actual like things you. It's not like a workout you can do. There's not like a you know there's not some sort of app you can go to become a better listener. But what you can do, and I tell people this is. Stay curious. If you're curious about other people, it will help you listen and be engaged. Um, so if, and I think that's a big problem nowadays. I think no one cares what other people think or, or have to say. So if you can keep that first, like if you're like, man, I'm not a good listener. Well, here's the first step you do to be a better listener. Be curious about what people have to say. Don't worry about just what you have to say. Be curious about what other people say and feel and do. That will make you a better listener because once you've engaged that sort of muscle, the curiosity muscle, if that's an actual thing, the listening is going to happen. 
just because all yeah. of a sudden you're like it's like you're watching a movie you're like oh okay so he this person had this to say but i wonder what else what's next what's going to happen in act three here and so yeah. it's important to be curious and i think that's one of the things that happens and i think you know as you say like as we get older we, we're, we're we get worse at it when we're kids we're so curious you know we're always yeah. asking our parents why do we do this what's this what's that all about and then we get to a certain age where we're afraid to ask questions or embarrassed to ask questions or afraid to raise our hand uh and i think that's just part of you know, human nature but staying curious and being curious i think that's how you become a better listener okay yeah i i have to agree 100 percent there so i'm also interested in what you've just said about staying curious has that helped you with developing certain strategies like um there's pcm you were talking about in your book uh, preparation mm. concentration and moderation has this been something that obviously they're they're applicable to any sort of a concentration uh, uh, conversation mm-hmm. but uh very much so for podcasting uh, with the preparation and the moderation uh in terms of techniques to be a better podcaster as well mm. as not just a better conversationalist uh, yeah. would you say that they apply to that specifically Absolutely. And, and PCM you bring up in the book is, uh, you know, in my radio station at PLJ, um, our program director had a sign pinned up on, on, uh, on the wall right next to the clock. And it said preparation, concentration, moderation. And those three words, as simple as they may sound, that, that is sort of the secret sauce to creating anything, period. So let's break those down. Preparation. When you're going to do something, when you have a conversation with someone, when you're going to do a project, you have to prepare. You have to know that thing inside out. So when if you're doing a podcast interview, doing research, reading up on someone, it doesn't mean you have to write 100 questions, but knowing enough about that person or about the, the topic that you're going to discuss, that gives you a leg up on the conversation. So no matter what happens with the guest, whether the guest maybe is doesn't maybe he's long-winded or maybe just gives really short answers, having that knowledge base going into it that is what will fuel the conversation to become a conversation as opposed to question, answer, question, answer, or, or what you said earlier, waiting for the person to finish talking. Because now all of a sudden you have this base or depth of, uh, or, or, or breath of knowledge that can help fuel the rest of the conversation. Second is concentration. Concentration is the big piece. And again, this is something we've been talking about. Being 100% focused in the moment about what you're doing, not looking at your phone, reading something else being 100% committed. When I talk to my clients that I produce podcasts for, I go, listen, I'm going to do all the heavy lifting. I'm going to book the guests. I'm going to record the show. I'm going to edit the show. I'm going to produce the show. I'm going to make everything sound great. But the one thing I need from you is that one unadulterated hour of just you communicating with another human being. If you can't do that, then you can't do the podcast. You can't be a good podcaster. The best podcasters interviewers in the world are not doing six different things. When Joe Rogan is doing a podcast, he's not doing anything but looking at his guest. When uh, Jimmy Fallon or any of these late night talk shows are having a guest on, they're looking squarely at the guest. They're not doing anything else. That's concentration. And then moderation. Again, this sort of ties into the stuff we were talking about earlier. Moderation is taking your time and enjoying the moment. Those, you know, being fearless we talked about and asking those tough questions moderation wait to ask those tough questions get make create that safe place make people feel comfortable then you can hammer people with tough questions or or questions that maybe require a little more thought so those three words preparation concentration moderation 
those work for just about anything you want to do in life. It helps definitely with podcasting, certainly, but it also helps with everything else. Whether you, you know, if you have a meeting, important meeting with someone, think about it. If you have a meeting with your boss, preparation, concentration, moderation, man, that sounds like a pretty good formula for a good business meeting. Sales, preparation, concentration, moderation, man, all of that can work pretty well in any different uh, scenario that you can think of. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's the thing. I, 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 I see a lot of shows or I listen to a lot of shows nowadays where there's one or two of those things that are lacking. Uh, you know, they've, they've mm-hmm. got the, the motivation to get on there and, and do a, a show, but preparation sometimes is sorely lacking or they're, they're not concentrating what they're doing. And especially if they have a guest and, you know, like you said, I've seen some, some interviews on, uh, uh, YouTube with people talking to other people, and while the guest is talking to them, they're they're checking their chat because mm. it might be a live stream or something like that. And then they come back and ask a totally not like a non sequitur question, yeah. you know, uh, out of what the the guest has just been saying, and uh, it's rude. It's it's, it's it, yeah. You know, you've asked someone to be a guest on your show. You should be a hundred percent invested. So. Yeah, I, I think they're they're words to live by, especially if you consider go if you're considering going into podcasting. But yeah. if you just want to get ahead in life, yeah. And for podcasters, I say, and again, Darren, you know me well enough that I I don't pr- pretend to be an expert. I, I that word gives me the heebie-jeebies, but I've done this long enough that I have knowledge that I could I could share with people. And the one thing I tell for anyone who wants to get into podcasting, no matter what age, you know, I'm I'm producing podcasts for you know boomers, Gen Xers, what have you. If you're starting a podcast out. Avoid, if you can, doing a video podcast because we get into our own heads. When you're on a Zoom call, Darren, who are you looking at most of all during that meeting? Yourself. You're not looking at the other person. I'm guilty of it. I'm looking, oh man, what's my hair look like today? What is that? Am I getting wrinkles? And when you're trying to do a high-level conversation on a podcast, when you have this interference of what do I look like? Oh my God. Oh, what's the background look like? Oh, let me do that stupid thing where I, 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 I put a blue screen behind me and it looks like I've got like a fireplace roaring and like all that stuff is so stupid. Make it, keep it simple. And if you have to use zoom for your recording, because you're, you're trying to do a podcast on a budget, turn the cameras off. It will do you no good looking at other people. And I know many people who are conversation or communication experts will talk about the importance of body language. Yes. All of that is really important. Don't get me wrong. But if you're trying to create a really good piece of high level, high-end podcast quality that is comparable to the best of the best. If you're worried about all that other stuff that goes with it, man, you're going to have trouble really pulling that off. So avoid trying to jump in because I'm telling you, nine out of 10 times when I when I ha- take on new clients, like, oh, so is this video? I'm like, no, it's not. And like, why not? I'm like, you're not ready for it. You're just not ready yeah. for it. Especially if this yeah. is the first thing you're ever going to do, you are not ready for it. And so keep that in mind when you're starting a podcast, as cool as it is to look at the other people when you're doing it, more times than not, you're worrying about something else in the actual conversation. So considering that, with your Forbes Books podcast, do you use a purely audio format to record with? Yeah, I use something called Clean Feed, uh, and it's pretty popular in the, in the podcasting. It's not super expensive, but uh, you get unlimited hours on it. And to me, I pr- I, I just enjoy it. I think it's the, it's really good quality because I mean, first and foremost, you want good quality. All these interviews yeah. nowadays are being done remotely. So uh, and Zoom 
uh, Sad's Report is not a podcast platform. People think, oh, okay, I'll just do this. It's not. It's not made for that. It's made to have low latency audio that's going to be, uh, you know, broadcast between people with very little lag. So yeah. it's not made for uh, for audio recording. Uh, I mean, obviously, when you're starting out and you don't want to invest a lot of money, Zoom's a pretty good way to go. But uh, CleanFeed, I, I not again. I'm not doing an ad for CleanFeed, but it gives you great quality. It's audio only. You create a link for the guest. You shoot it off to them. And then you record the podcast, and you download it, and you get it in multiple tracks. So it's uh, it's a it's a really good pl- platform. And I, to me, the amount of hours I'm doing podcasting, it's so much better to do with audio. And uh, yeah, I just I just I, I, I like I said, a lot of the people I deal with are mostly novice podcasters. So I just don't, I want to make it as easy as possible for them to uh, to succeed in uh, doing podcasts. You know. I I don't pretend to be anything better or, or or greater than anyone when it comes to podcasting. I know I'm just a regular guy, um, but the one thing that I, I I know is that listen, I I'm curious about what other people are going through. I want to know what they've accomplished and how they've accomplished it, and not everyone has that sort of gene. Um, and that's I have that. I mean, I don't know why. But that's why I, I love the audio medium. It's, it just gives you this ability to to talk with people, and you know, doing this podcast with you, Darren. I mean, I I'm here just to listen to what you have to say and share your ideas as well. Because the one thing I tell people is never use the word interview when you're talking about doing a podcast interview. As funny as that sounds, I oh. say shorthand. Yes, I'll set up this interview. But I always think about it as a conversation. I don't want it to be question, answer, question, answer. There's bots that do that now. I think the Russians have it uh, that can <laughs> can can do that for you. But yeah, to create a conversation, have people like relay ideas and feelings. That's that's what you want to do. And so I, I'll never be a master interviewer because I'm not going to be the one who's going to have like a super deep question about someone. But my questions are all are coming from the heart. Like they're, yep. they're questions that I want to have answered. And so that's why I was able to pull off the transition from going from the world of entertainment to the world of business where, you know, I remember one of my early podcasts I was doing, I was doing this show with these two guys that created a SaaS program that like helped people that helped healthcare facilities schedule infusion treatments. Okay. Man, Darren, I don't even know what the fuck that means. Uh, part of my French, <laughs> but I was, I was curious. I'm like, service. okay, cool. Like, what is this all about? And I was, I yeah. did recorded like 12 podcasts with these guys. I don't wow. know. I don't know anything <laughs> about any of that stuff. But just okay. the idea of me being curious and engaged—that's all yeah. you need. And the fact that yeah, I was definitely. doing the PCM, I was preparing for that interview. I was like, yeah. I wasn't yeah. taking a PhD level class on you know infusion treatments, but just knowing enough is all you need because you have to shine the spotlight on your guests. You have to let them shine. And then you can dip your head into that spotlight as well, but you can only do that if you're able to engage with these people in, on, a, on a level where you're equals. And yeah. you know, obviously, when it comes to brains, I'm nowhere near equals as these people that I have on these podcasts, but I have... There's no one's going to outpassion me or outcurious yes. me uh, when it comes yes. to having these conversations, and I think that's what people feel when they get done with me. It's funny. Over the last couple of weeks, I've had two people mention that I mentioned. I talk. I, I use their name in the podcast, and mm-hmm. they're like, "You know, it's funny that you you kept using my name in the podcast." I'm like, "Really?" And like, I don't even know I do that, but yeah. doing that makes the people feel good. 
Oh, so, it engages people for sure. Yeah. yeah, and it's so funny. It's like to me, it's like again, it's one of these skills that I've acquired, but didn't realize that it actually had an impact on people. But like, it's so funny. Like two people in the like the last week have said that to me. It's like, oh, it's so cool that you said my name during it. And like, and they're like, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. Isn't that your name? I just, you, <laughs> I just do it. So yeah. uh, little things like that, I think, are what make people really good at communicating with others. Very good. Well, Joe. See what I did there? Yes. (laughs) Joe, uh, there are a lot of uh, anecdotes in your book that I'd love to get to, but I I can't keep you here all day, Uh, specifically around Jennifer Aniston and another one about uh, Bon Jovi. And Mm. if you want to hear or you want to read about those anecdotes, you can go get uh, Joe's book and you can do so for yourself. But right now, uh, I'm curious about uh, Joe Partavilla. Not the podcast host, not the radio uh, veteran, but mm. just the person. What what are things that uh, you do uh, for fun? What what are your hobbies? What are your interests? Um, so basically, I have a puppy uh, who's a year <laughs> old, and so my interests lie on just making sure that my puppy stays alive. Uh, he's a <laughs> uh, he's a dachshund who weighs about thirteen pounds. He's a long haired dachshund. Uh, okay. So. Uh, so yeah, so pretty much my free time is keeping him entertained and making sure he doesn't piss all over my place. Uh, but yeah, so that's a big part of my life. And, uh, me and my wife just, we're, we're super simple people. Like we enjoy just going to the movies or, and this is really weird coming from a straight white dude, but I, there's nothing I love more than a good, like flea market or like a a vendor or like a craft fair. So yeah. uh, I'm a very simple dude. Uh, I, okay. I, I, again, I don't try, uh, you know, if you look at my social media handles, you know, I, I'm not driving any fancy cars or living a, a really fancy lifestyle. I'm just a guy who just enjoys the simple things in life. Uh, I have a, have a great wife, uh, have a great family back home in New Jersey. And, um, you know, for me, just being able to watch a Jets game on a Sunday or watch a good movie on a Friday night, that's, that's all, that's all I need. Wow. Oh, fantastic. And that and uh, cutting the lawn in your Crocs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm still working on the the lawn, Darren, because as I think I mentioned to you the last time is I never owned a home before. I never had a lawn before. So the yeah. idea of having a lawn and mowing things is, man, it's it's uh, something I was not prepared for. But, uh, like but I think I'm, I'm getting the hang of it. Yeah, exactly. So it takes a little bit of attention as well, I guess. Yeah. So. Uh, that's good. Do, you don't run or anything like that or go to the gym or... No, you know, I thank you for... What are you trying to tell me, Darren? Trying no, to say no, that? you're looking okay. fine. Very no, smart. You're looking I'm, very, I'm just kidding. Very fine. <laughs> I actually... And, and I'm going to do something that uh, that people that run marathons do. Uh, I ran two New York City marathons in a previous Amazing. life. Yeah. So that's I great. ran I ran them uh, in 2003, 2005, something like that. So in a previous life. And yeah. I basically just did it out as a lark. I was... Uh, I was getting into really good shape by going to the gym relentlessly. I like I was one of these idiots that would go to the the gym like even if they had the flu. Uh, yeah. And I, I eventually said to myself like Why am I doing this? Like Why am I killing myself at the gym? Like Let me do something about it. Uh, so I decided to go run a marathon. I ran the New York City Marathon twice, and it was just an amazing experience. And um, so yeah, so uh, thank you for reminding me about hitting the gym. I really should. But the last <laughs> year has been me concentrating on you know working on these podcasts, writing the book, and then. Uh, yep. you know, building our new house. But I think I definitely do have to get to the gym. Although I am getting a lot of steps in Darren with this dog, because when Very I got uh, Nathan, they said to me, oh, you need to just take him for a good, like one 10 minute walk a day. Bullshit. This dog will walk <laughs> for hours. So, uh, so I, uh, so he, I'm getting plenty of steps in taking Nathan for his morning and evening walks. Well, he's only got little legs, so he has to, uh, you know, 
It's uh, he gets well. Yeah, that's what I thought too, Darren. <laughs> I thought the tiny little legs he would not need to go to to uh, long walks. But man, he'll go for like forty five minutes to an hour. I'll be coming back that's exhausted. Crazy. And so yeah. yeah, so yeah, I, I'm, I am exercising a little bit, Darren. Very good. Good to hear. All right. Uh, look, last thing I'll ask you about before I thank you for coming on is uh, Advantage Media. Um, mm-hmm. That's uh, well, let everybody know what that is, please. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, the full name is Advantage Forbes Books. And what we are is a hybrid publishing firm. And in in layman's terms, that basically means is we publish books for people who want to write books. The traditional uh, publishing model is you have a publisher like a Random House or a Schuster, whatever. Uh, they'll pay people in advance and then they'll publish the books. Well, only uh, the 1% of the 1% have that opportunity. Um, so what we do is give people who have always wanted to write a book, maybe they're a successful CEO or entrepreneur, and they want to share their story with the world, but maybe they're just not famous enough to get a publishing deal. So we will write the book for people, design the art, uh, do everything soup to nuts that takes. So we are, we're essentially like we take the the traditional publishing model, but make it in the hybrid sense, whereas we get paid to publish books for folks. Um, okay. So yeah, and that's what we do. And then the company started as strictly a publishing uh, company, but as time went on, people who were writing these books were like, "Now I've got this book. What do I do next?" So we added a, a marketing company to it, and then within the last couple of years, added podcasting that we give the opportunity for our authors to uh, to host their own podcast, and that's where I came in. And that's okay. basically my day to day job is uh, producing and co hosting podcasts for all these entrepreneurs or CEOs who write books with us. Fantastic! I, I, that's uh, that's a, a wonderful job, and I'm, I'm sure you in get up every morning enjoying going to work uh considering your interests yeah no absolutely and the fact that i don't have to wake up at 306 every morning darren is a that's, that's wonderful a advantage <laughs> uh so yeah so it's, it's great to have a job like that and it's uh our office is hybrid so i get to work from home three days a week so i only have to go oh, downtown right. charleston a couple days so it's 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 a wonderful way to live like I, it was funny darren when they first hired me they were like hey listen we're big on work-life balance and i'm like I didn't know what that meant. Like literally like (laughs) I came from a world of like my job was 24 seven worrying about the radio station. And my first day on the job, they had me interview someone. It was funny. Like my first day I was already interviewing someone for a podcast and I was like editing and it was like almost five o'clock. And I was like, ah, let me just finish up the podcast. I got a few more minutes. So it was like 10 after five. And lo and behold, I walk out of my little studio. They, they have for me there and the whole office is completely dark. They'd shut the lights off. Everybody had left <laughs> by 10 after 5. And I was like, yeah, they really do care about work-life balance here. So, uh, so yeah, so it was great to come from a world where it was like my job was 24-7, completely engaged all the time, no matter what time of day, no matter what day of the week about the radio show, to have a job where it was like, hey, man, I could give my brain a rest. Like, you know, I could talk to dopes yeah, yeah. like you after hours and then, uh, you know, I could just do my life and then, and then in the morning, get up, do some, do some podcasts with folks and, and call it a day. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, all right. Look, thank you very much for your time once again. Uh, it's been amazing as, uh, as uh, always. Uh, it's been great speaking to you. The book is Good Listen, Creating Memorable Conversations in, Conversations in Business and Life. If you'd like to let everyone know where they can uh, follow all your work and get a hold of your book once again and take it from there. Yeah, so uh, I'm on social media. Basically, I use Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram, and at all those handles, I'm at Joe Partavilla. And you can, I'm very Googleable. I don't know if that's a word, but you can Google me and it'll come up. It's and now. then 
Yeah, it is now. Uh, and then Good Listen is available uh, at uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you get books online. Uh, all the links are in my uh, my profile. So if you want to just check it out. And if you want to just shoot me a note, message, and uh, have any kind of questions about what I do or uh, have you know want some advice on uh, podcasting or just you know in communications in general, just feel free to shoot me up. Uh, you know, feel free to shoot me a note, and I'll be happy to get back to you. Fantastic. All right, Joe, you have a uh, wonderful uh, rest, uh, rest of your day. Is it day or night? It's evening tomorrow? now. It's, it's, evening uh, it's now. It's evening. Pretty we dark started in the morning and now yeah. it's late. It's been a long conversation, Darren. Yeah. No, but I've enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you very much for making the time once again. I'm off to watch a, an ice hockey game, so uh, <laughs> I'll let you uh, get to bed and uh, I'll catch up with you somewhere on the socials, I guess. For, Absolutely. Uh, in the future. Yeah, I, right. I won't block you, Darren. It's all right. Oh, well, oh, okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Getting cancelled by one of my guests, that would be great. So, <laughs> a shadow band. So, look, mate, thank you very much. Uh, have, have a good night and I'll uh, talk to you soon. So, it's not quite the end yet. In my rush to let uh, Joe get back to what was left of the evening, I forgot to ask him what I'm hoping to be my signature and very on-brand final question. Namely, if you could be the VIP guest or on the guest list for anything, a concert, podcast, wedding, sporting event, talk show, etc., what would it be and why? Fortunately for me, Joe is very accommodating and I reached out to him later and sent him the question and he got back to me with this audio response. You know, Darren, it's funny. During the course of my career in radio in New York, I was uh, very lucky and had the privilege to attend a lot of really cool events, whether I was invited or snuck into. But there was one that I never had a chance to go to, and it's one that has a a real strong connection with my family, and it would be the Academy Awards. Uh, the Oscars has sort of lost their luster over time, but I just remember as a kid, there were two things we would always watch as a family. One was the World Cup every four years, and then every winter we would watch the Oscars together. My family and I were huge movie fans, and you know, in the early 80s and even 90s, the only way to see these celebrities sort of out of their element were at award shows, and so the Oscars was the creme de la creme of all award shows. You know, the biggest stars on the planet attended that event every single year, and so even though it's not as great as it used to be, and you know, you, you hear about all the the reports of its demise with the ratings in the toilet and everything like that, it still encapsulates like Hollywood royalty. You know, we don't have royalty here in the United States, but that's about as close as it gets. Our movie stars are our royalty and uh, attending the Oscars would really be an amazing event to attend. Uh, I wouldn't like to be up in the balcony. I'd like to be somewhere down below so I could actually hear the conversations between all the celebrities and stuff like that. But yeah, if there was one event that I could be on the VIP list and get across the red carpet, it would be the Oscars. That's it for the first interview show back. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Joe, and I hope I was able to create that safe place Joe referred to in his book. To that, I hope that you will go and check out his Forbes Books podcast and his amazing book, Good Listen. And I would encourage you to check out the Science of Sex podcast as well. It's very informative, eye-opening, and at times very funny. Maybe not one for the kids, though. Don't forget to let me know what you thought of the show, and if you have time, please rate and review and tell someone about the show that you think might enjoy it. It's great to be back, and as usual, I'll chat at you again next episode.